The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. I'd like to introduce uh, Adam Davis. He's going to be bringing the message today as we learn about gospel-shaped outreach and how God has sent us on mission, not just when we're here at church, but every day in our neighborhoods and in our homes and wherever God takes us. Adam. Thank you, Nathan. Good morning, church family. Wherever two or three or 18 of us are gathered, he's with us, right? So we're just going to be a great morning. Um, it's a little bit unique this morning. Um, there are several weddings going on, I believe. There's a conference, so we have some folks out of town. Um, so it's a little bit light of a crowd, but that's okay, right? Because God's still here, and he's ready to change our lives today. So um, we're going to uh, introduce today uh, what we've been talking about for uh, about a week or two, actually. If you missed last week, you may not even be aware. We're about to jump into... Um, an all-church study called Gospel-Shaped Outreach. And we introduced this topic yesterday. Um, what we're really encouraging everyone to do is grab a copy of the book. I actually left my book over here. Grab a copy of the book. If you don't have one, they are available in the back. We're asking for a five bucks donation. doesn't matter if you don't have that. We'd like to uh, still get you one. We'd like everyone to still have one. Um, this is the book we're going to use to kind of align together on this study. Um, it's a great workbook. Um, and really, that book is really mostly going to come into play in our community groups. So as you grab a book in the back, or if you haven't already, please sign up for a community group or let us know which community group that you're in. Um, really, in order to get the most out of this study um, all together, we want to be in community with each other. We want to be able to engage with scripture. Um, this is very, very um, Bible-focused, which is amazing. Um, and we want to make sure we're doing that in community. Uh, we are going to take the next several Sundays in October to uh, kind of kick off the gospel outreach um, study. And, you know, the sermons aren't going to go directly with the book, but um, we're going to kind of talk about some of the topics in, involved in the book. Um, so let's pray before we get started. So, Father God, I just uh, thank you for today. I just thank you for the opportunity to be here, to come together um, with a church family this morning. I pray that you would just um, bless everyone here today uh, as uh, we hear your word. I pray that you would uh, speak to us clearly, speak the truth yourself to us, God, be present with us, and we would be able to uh, open our hearts and our ears to hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'll turn with me uh, this morning um, to uh, Matthew 28, 16, probably a lot of you are familiar with that verse, we'll also put it on the screen. A lot of us know this as the Great Commission. The Great Commission says, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So most of us know this as the Great Commission. Um, but I'd really like to turn us actually to Acts 1 and kind of continue this. Um, a lot of people still consider Acts 1 another version, a couple of different versions of the Great Commission. And so we'll read Acts 1 together, verses 1 through 11, because that's really our uh, main scripture for today as the first chapter there. So um, Luke is writing this book. He uh, wrote the Gospel of Luke. He continues on. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do Till the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were, uh, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so Acts really records for us the growth in the early church and the expansion of God's kingdom. That's what the early church really looked like. Um, this is what God's plan is for us. Tell us to go and make disciples. Teach them everything I've commanded them to do. And Jesus may have been taken up into heaven, but his mission on earth wasn't over. His mission continues through us in the body of Christ that mission to continue, you know, in the first verse there, it says that Jesus began to do and to teach, right? and our mission is to continue that, to continue to teach and to do what Jesus did on this earth together, uh, continue that mission. We're his ambassadors, we're his sent ones, we're his representatives, uh, and so that's uh, that's what we've been called to do, um, and in the study of this week, in the coming weeks, you're going to be able to really be able to dive into these verses together. There's a lot of really um, great material just to kind of talk about in your groups and wrestle with what that means and what that looks like. Um, but today, what I want to do is uh, really just kind of prepare us for this study. Um, if you do have your handbooks, there is a question on page 26. And it says, where would you list telling the good news about Jesus to others on the list of your personal priorities? Where would you list telling the good news about others Jesus to others on the list of your personal priorities. What do you struggle with most? The desire to witness, the words to say, the boldness to say them? You know, Liz was praying earlier, you know, there's so much going on in our lives, right? We're so wrapped up in everything going on with us, like busy schedules, particularly in this area, it seems like run, 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 one thing to the next. You know, where is it on our priority list? And I was really praying about that as, you know, we kind of entered into the preparation for this study and, um, you know, just personally challenged by that. Probably would be embarrassed to really list if I was honest, just where that priority really fell uh, personally for me. So today, I really uh, want to share with you um, some what I'm calling obstacles to outreach, which is really a, a, a fancy term for all of my excuses why uh, why I, I shouldn't share um, Jesus with others. Um, as I prayed about, you know, what's keeping me from sharing Jesus with others? Uh, it's pretty easy to make excuses. You know, it's pretty easy for me to list out things. I began to write some things down. You know, I'm this, I'm that, what about this, what about that? You know, I don't, I don't know, am I, am I the right person? Am I supposed to do this? Am I called? Am I gifted enough? Am I, you know, I don't know if I can share Jesus with others. And really, again, it, it really became a list of excuses. And so this morning, um, I'd like to share six of those. I narrowed them down for you. I mean, you're going to look at the whole list, but I narrowed them down to six, of, six for you this morning. Um, and my hope is that as we go through some of these um, obstacles to outreach and 
um, you know, I share with you personally some of my challenges uh, that you would be able to relate with one or two, or maybe you have some of your own challenges, and we can together examine our hearts and prepare our hearts for what God would really have us through this study, through this next, it's a nine-week study, so over these next nine weeks, be open to what God uh, wants to speak to us and to in our hearts. And so that's my hope this morning. So uh, without further ado, number one, the first obstacle I, I listed was I'm still figuring out what God's will is for my life. I'm still figuring out what God's will is for my life. And maybe you say, Adam, that kind of sounds like a good thing. You know, you kind of want to know what God's will for your life is. Don't you? You know, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, it does sound like a good thing. Um, but, you know, I'm a, personally, I'm, I'm kind of an analytical person, a thinker. I can overthink things sometimes. And, you know, I can get really wrapped up in what God's will is for my life. I can really think a lot about it. I can, uh, you know, but typically what we're doing when we're asking, hey, what's God's will for my life? Typically we're asking about, you know, we're kind of asking, all right, what does God want me to do? Who does he want me to be? Um, who does he want me to marry, maybe? Or school, right? We're praying about what's God's will for my life, like something going on in my life personally, right? A lot of times that's what we mean by that. And that's kind of what I'm talking about, is getting wrapped up in that, is what, is, what does God really want me to do? Um, you know, it'd be easy to, you know what, God wants me to uh, be a worship leader. So, you know, because of that, God doesn't necessarily, isn't really calling me to outreach or share my message with other people. You know, I'm, I'm not really called to be an evangelist or a missionary. So, you know, that doesn't really necessarily apply to me. Um, so, I, although we definitely want to be praying about what is going on in our lives, I'm certainly not saying that that's a good thing. We want to pray about, you know, uh, direction and vision for our lives, and we want to be doing what God wants us to be doing. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we do get caught up in, in God's will. There's several different kinds of God's wills. You can do a whole study on it. We're not going to do that this morning, but... Um, talking about God's will, you know, there's an overall God's sovereign will, right? God's sovereign will, whatever he wills is going to happen. It's going to come to pass. He has a plan. You know, we're just going to, we're along for the ride, right? Um, there is certainly the, uh, I guess what you would call a directive will. Some would call it a directive will. So what I was talking about in terms of, hey, what do you want me to do with my life, God? You know, i got this upcoming thing. I'm praying about a job. I'm praying, praying for my family. I'm praying about these things. What's the direction you want me to take? parents are moving back to North Virginia. Yay! Um, they're probably praying about it. They probably prayed about that for a while. Hey, God, is there, are we supposed to move back to North Virginia? You know, that kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to be doing that. Um, but let's not forget one of the other uh, forms of God's will is his written word. Right? We have God's, God's word right here. We call this the perceptive or command, command will of God. And so we have a pretty large book here uh, and has a lot of things in it that are God's will for our life. Big ones, right? Love God, love others. We just read the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Teach everyone to obey everything I've commanded. Uh, we have the human spirit in there. Right? We have, I mean, there's a wealth of knowledge and instruction and wills of God in this book. And so uh, let's be careful uh, that we don't uh, skip what God has called us. I think about God's will sometimes um, in terms of a river. Uh, if you imagine a river sitting along the bank of a river, God's will, you know, represented by the river, and it's moving, it's flowing along, and a lot of people are sitting along the outside of the river, and they're kind of hoping that God's will gets splashed up on them, or, you know, maybe a little jetted stream kind of comes towards where they happen to be sitting, um, right? And sometimes that's our perspective of God's will, and really, we just need to 
get up and jump into God's will and let it take us wherever it's flowing to, wherever it's going, and go with God and go with what he's doing. Um, so that's what I'm talking about here. So um, being careful not to get caught up in uh, what, what I would consider God's will for our lives. All right, number two, I don't have that type of personality, gift, or passion. This is my probably one of my personal favorites, not in a good way. Um, I naturally am an introvert. I'm kind of a quiet, laid-back, reserved person. Um, I'm not a big out front, outgoing, bubbly personality. Um, it's not super easy for me to go and run and talk to people. I'm not the life of the party. Um, that's all my wife. She's really good at all those things, right? And so it's easy for me to say, you know, if God wanted me to go and share my life with people and uh, share Jesus with people, he would have made me more outgoing, and my personality would have been, um, you know, he would have given me these certain gifts and these certain passions to be able to do that. That's, God, if, if that's what God wants me to do. It's very easy for me to say that, but unfortunately, obedience really isn't personality dependent. Obedience is not dependent on a personality. It's not, you know, gift dependent. Um, really no special gifts or qualifications for obedience. Um, you know, I would say other than being a Christian really is all it takes to share Jesus with the world. So there's really nothing there that that's holding us back. If I think about some of the people in the Bible that were obedient, <clears throat> listen to some of the personalities. Peter, he was outspoken and impulsive. Barnabas was warm and accepting. Lydia was a risk taker and hospitable. Paul was dominant and direct. Timothy was withdrawn, reserved. Mary was busy and meticulous. Paulus was studious and reflective. Titus was organized and strategic. That's my guy right there, organized and strategic. Thomas was skeptical, detailed. Luke was educated, analytical. Right, so you get the idea that making disciples is really just about sharing the transformational principles of Jesus with other people in the context of relationship. That's it. That's the whole definition of really sharing the gospel with someone, is sharing what Jesus has done in our lives and sharing that with someone else. And so that condition of a personality, a gift, or, or a passion, uh, that excuse doesn't hold up uh, too long, unfortunately, even though I'd like it to do so. All right, number three, I feel awkward. It is awkward sometimes. You ever feel awkward about this? Sometimes it's awkward. You know, I'll share, uh, last last year uh, we were doing the food food bag outreach. I think we're going to do it again this year. Kind of going around and, you know, we, we knock on doors and we, you know, we give them a little food bag and we say, hey, we got, you know, uh, we just want to share something with you, a little, little treat with you, let you know we're here, we're available to help you out. That felt awkward. It was awkward to go up, knock on somebody's door, and I'm not saying that's the only way to reach people. We have lots of ways to reach people. Um, but that was awkward. You know, it definitely was uncomfortable. But, you know, as I did it, you know, it, it became okay. You know, it became, you know, we just have to be okay, I think, with being awkward sometimes. You know, as, as I get older, I think about, you know, all the awkward stages and things that go on in life. You know, we're, we're pretty awkward people. You know, I was thinking, I was at a party yesterday. Toddlers talking around and they're just learning how to walk, you know, and they're doing the wobbly stage, and that's my favorite part. They're all unsteady, and sometimes they fall over, and it's just, it's awkward, but it's adorable. It's cute. Um, you know, we were riding a bike, trying to take the training wheels off and teach my kids how to ride a bike. You know, it's awkward. You know, sometimes they tip over and fall over. You know, just, it's uncomfortable. Uh, you know, as we grow older, you know, who's, none of us are ready to get married, probably. I mean, if I waited till I was ready to get married, I probably would never get married. Um, if you thought you were ready after you got married, you realized you weren't, uh, you're like, what is this? Um, it's very awkward. Um, it's, it's a new thing. Um, think about being a parent. You know, I have 
three kids. I'm still not ready to be a parent, and I'm on number three. And that's it, by the way. I'm not going to number four. But uh, that's it. It's awkward sometimes, right? I'm not, I'm not some kind of trained expert on being a parent or being a husband. Uh, it's just kind of awkward sometimes. But we really don't have to worry about all that. We don't have to worry about being some sort of a, a trained expert on outreach, a trained expert on, on sharing our faith with someone. I'm reminded of, of John Forrest, the Samaritan woman, and she, she meets Jesus at this well, and she just met Jesus, and what does she do? She runs back to the town and says, hey, everyone, like, you got to go meet this guy. I mean, she just encounters, she experienced the Savior of the world. And he said, you know, in the midst of all her stuff and the sin and everything she had going on in her life, Jesus came and said, I love you, have a plan for you. I love you, have a plan for you. And what does she do? Just out of her abundance of joy, she goes back to the town and shares this with the people. You think she had some prolific speech prepared for this town, of, and you know she's going to lay out all of the gospel theology that you know the best, most compelling. No, of course not. And she was just overwhelmed with the joy of meeting Jesus that she couldn't help but go tell other people about it. We really give ourselves too much credit if we think it's going to be our awesome presentation that saves. All right, so maybe we've gotten over the awkward phase. Uh, next one I came up with, I'm scared. I'm really kind of scared what other people will think of me. If they like me, you know, maybe they won't like me, my family. Um, you know, some of us are really paralyzed by this thought of being disliked or marginalized or laughed at. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit scary. Um, you know, I don't know if any of you have ever said something, or not said something, I'm sorry, that you should have because you were, you know, afraid of what someone might think. Most of us have. Um, you know, I, I think oftentimes about my job. Sometimes I get nervous. You know, should I share Jesus with this person? Can I talk about God and Christian stuff at work? Because I don't want to be labeled as that guy and maybe miss out on a promotion or be, you know, sort of set aside as, oh, that's that Christian guy over there. Uh, you, know, it's, you know, it's scary sometimes to think about some of that stuff. And sometimes, unfortunately, it does have an effect. I guess I'm starting to wonder, though, if political correctness has replaced biblical witness. It's, it's a really scary thought, and I don't want to go too far down that path, um, but political correctness versus a biblical witness. Where are we at with that? It's scary. <clears throat> Number five, I don't have time. This is an easy one. This is what Lizzie prayed about. This is, this is my, one of my other favorites, probably. I don't have time. We're busy. we got a lot going on. And if we're honest, I think sometimes if we really look at our schedules, we look at what we're doing, it probably looks like we don't care a whole lot about lost people. It's probably not something we would want to admit, but if we really think about, you know, our time, uh, you know, are we building in time to interact with, engage with lost people? Maybe we've long stopped praying for lost people and we've prayed for them to do us and waste our bandwidth. Have lost people become a low priority in the hands of our time? You know, for some of us, uh, you know, it's even a struggle to uh, make lost people a focus in the midst of great church work. We do a lot of things at church. We go to a lot of meetings and we get together and we do a lot of things together as a church. And, you know, it takes a lot to bring us together. There's a lot of people involved in the operations of the church, and, you know, that, that's great. We need that. Uh, 
us back, but it's keeping us in our busy schedule preventing us from really reaching out to people. How can we be better at this versus speaking to those who do need us? I think the key is it's really intentionality, and that's easier said than done. You know, it's a really great word. We have to be deliberate and purposive. We have to be intentional about reaching lost people. That's really what's going to open the door to this transformation in our lives. I love what Paul prays in Colossians 4, 2 to 6. I don't have it on the screen, but Colossians 4, 2 to 6. He's in prison. He writes this and says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I'm just imagining that in prison, probably not the first thing on my list would be thinking about an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with others. And yet, that's what exactly what Paul is doing. He's asking other people to pray. Hey, pray. Pray that there'll be an open door for our message somehow so that we can proclaim the good news of that message. So are we doing that? Are we praying for our opportunities to proclaim Jesus to others? Finally, on my list anyway, number six is I don't want to make converts. I don't want to just make converts. And that sounds really spiritual. That sounds really great. Um, And I've definitely caught myself saying this. I don't want to just make converts. So... You know, it's really about making disciples, right? We read that. We read the Great Commission in the beginning. Um, Again, you'll be digging into that more and more. Um, It it sounds really, really great. And oftentimes what happens is in the church, there's kind of this pendulum that swings, right, between what we would call evangelism, which would be, you know, reaching out to people and really sharing Jesus, and then discipleship, this pendulum swing where, hey, wait a second, we can't just tell people about Jesus, but also want them to, or we more sometimes, want them to be taught how to follow Jesus, how to trust Jesus, how to obey Jesus. That's really important. Um, but what happens sometimes is we want to choose between the two. And really, that's not what Jesus' life taught us. Right? It's both and. It's we need that, what I would maybe call the front end right, of discipleship. We need to reach the lost people and tell them the good news so that we can begin to make disciples and teach people how to trust we don't have to choose between the two. If you were here the last couple of weeks, um, John talked about this this uh, word diatribo. It's a fancy Greek word, but you know when Jesus was spending time with his disciples, he was the word means rubbing off on them. Not taking time to rub off, so really spending time with people and rubbing off on them. We have to have the discipleship part of all everything we're talking about today in outreach. Right? We have to have that discipleship. It can't just be share the good news, right? We have to have that spending time with rubbing off on one another and challenging each other uh, and spurring one another on, right? That's what the Bible calls us to do. Jesus modeled that for us. That's how we're going to reproduce God's church. And that's really when you read the book of Acts, and again, you're going to have a lot of opportunity to get into the book of Acts and to study. That's what you're going to see uh, described throughout the book of Acts is this, there's both, right? We're telling and sharing people about Christ, and we have that discipleship. The, the, the challenge is, you know, um, I am more of a 
you know, analytical kind of thinker, and I, and I enjoy teaching, and I, and I really, I would say I have that passion for discipleship. And so it's easy for me to say, let somebody else do the other side of that. Let somebody else go and, you know, actually talk to these lost people, and then once they're in, I'll take over something like that, right? It's kind of a silly thought, but I'm just being honest. Sometimes we can have that thought. We may swing to one side or the other. We may swing towards discipleship, swing towards evangelism, and we got to have both between us. And everyone is capable um, of doing both. It's just not always our not at all in our recipe. It's not us that's doing both. It's God that's doing both. So I, I hope by going through some of these, uh, you can maybe relate to some. Uh, maybe you have some of your own. You know, you can see the common thread. What's the common thread? scared, I don't, I, 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 I. Very selfish, um, admittedly, right? It's very, you know, if we're not reaching lost people, if we're not sharing Jesus' good news, there's probably something um, going on in our hearts that's some sort of selfishness or pride is probably Alright, so if that's the case, what do we need in order to spread the gospel? And this actually is in your handbook on if you have it, if you want to look there, um, it says, what do we need in order to spread the gospel? And this really uh, comes from Acts 1 in the book, and we, we're open to there, Acts 1, 1 through 11 there. Um, the first thing it says is instruction from Jesus, and that's in verse 2. We know that he began to teach, and he did everything that he's commanding us to do. He was our role model, and we need that in order to spread the gospel so that we know what a disciple looks like and what this process looks like. Jesus modeled that for us, and so we have that. Number two, in verse three, evidence. Now, Jesus walked the earth after he was resurrected. He was on earth for about 40 days. And we have in the New Testament somewhere around 11 examples of him appearing to his disciples. They got to see Jesus after he was resurrected in the flesh, spiritual body, maybe. Um, and But the evidence was there that this was the same Jesus that I know I saw on the cross and was crucified and buried, and now here he is. I mean, just think about that and put yourselves in your shoes, in, in their shoes. Uh, that's, that's pretty intense that they were able to witness that, and I don't know. I think often maybe we take that for granted. I don't know if I was there, I would believe right away. And we saw instances of that. Some doubted. That's pretty crazy. They probably had never seen anything like that, someone raising from the dead, right? And so they were to be the witnesses of Jesus' life, his death, and resurrection. That's key to spreading the gospel. That is the gospel message, is Jesus came to this earth, and he died for us, and he was resurrected there. And without that resurrection, we really don't have the faith. Because it's about Jesus, he died, he took all of our sin upon him, but he rose again, he conquered sin and death. On that resurrection power through His Holy Spirit to us, and we're able to share that with other people. And that's really what the gospel is all about. So we have to have that evidence. And of course, now uh, we just have that evidence through faith and trust that the Bible is true. Number three, power. Probably um, the most standout one in this verse is is in verse five. Is is this power? If you think about the apostles. Time. I mean, they spent three years with Jesus. Three years. And, and you know, remember, I talked about Jesus.
Jesus is rubbing off, spending time with him. Read about all throughout the Gospels how much time they spent with his apostles, his future church. I mean, they heard all of his teaching. They saw all the miracles. They saw him heal people. They saw him teach, watched him preach and pray for people. I'm sure they learned all about him and his character. I mean, they were, for all intents and purposes, for a human, human side of things, they were ready to spread the gospel. What else did they need? I mean, they had spent three years with Jesus. I mean, I think if any of us spent three years with Jesus, we'd probably feel pretty educated and prepared to go and spread the gospel. But Jesus says, wait. Jesus says, wait. And they had to wait for about somewhere around eight to ten days. Eight to ten days uh, in anticipation of, he says, he's going to send his Holy Spirit. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They already knew this was coming. This was, he had already told them this. It's just a reminder. Um, but we also have plenty of prophetic words that they probably at this point should have realized, oh, all this stuff is really coming back. But, um, and so they devoted themselves just to prayer and worship in these eight to ten days. And they waited, and they waited. See, Jesus knew that despite all of the things, all the time he spent with them, all probably the teaching and education that he provided them, the apostles, they couldn't do one miracle. They can't cast out any demons. They couldn't remove sin. They couldn't give eternal life. Only God could do those things. And Jesus had nothing else for the disciples to do other than to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They weren't going to be effective at all in expanding God's kingdom. And as you read through the book of Acts throughout the study, you're going to see that it's very obvious that this is not about them. It's not their thing. They're not building their kingdom. They don't have their own plans, their own agenda. I mean, sure, some of that I'm sure is in there. And probably maybe some of this is not recorded. We're all sinful people. But the expansion of the kingdom was totally reliant on the Holy Spirit. They were just the instruments that God was using to expand the kingdom. And so that's who we are. We're instruments. And it's Jesus who's at work inside us and through us through the Holy Spirit. We're to be baptized uh, in the Holy Spirit, which back then they would have understood that word, you know, because it refers to sinking ships. So completely immersed with, covered with, um, totally covered with the Holy Spirit, and we're to surrender our lives in that way to the Spirit, be covered with the Spirit. So it's really a condition. Right? It's not a one-time experience. Not to oh, don't we believe that the Holy Spirit comes into us when we receive Jesus, but that we need those continual filling. We need to pray for the continual filling and covering. Ongoing condition in the process in our lives. And the Holy Spirit, when we think about the expansion, we think about outreach and sharing Jesus with others, the Holy Spirit teaches us what to say. He gives us the supernatural power through our words so they'll actually have an effect. Anyone can say anything, we need the power behind that to make sure that they're effective. And He convicts the people we are speaking to of their guilt and their need for Savior. That's all the Holy Spirit's work. Without that, we're not to be able to spread the gospel uh, in the way that God wants. If you really think about it, the major reason the Holy Spirit was given to the believers was the expansion of the kingdom. He does a lot of other things in our lives. The Holy Spirit comes, does a lot of other things, has a lot of other functions in our lives. But primarily, he's in the world to convict of sin and enable us to share the good news with sinners. In fact, I would say there's no point, really, in having the power of the Holy Spirit if we aren't sharing the gospel. 
and there's no point in sharing the gospel if we don't have the spirit of power. Really go hand in hand. We need one or the other. And finally, number four is the command. <clears throat> Pretty straightforward and simple. It's a very specific command, though. Share the gospel with the world. And again, with their own people. Not just with their friends, with their families, but also with their enemies. Talk about Samaria. And then to the end of the earth. To, to people that maybe they didn't even think deserved God's story. God's love. That's the command, is to spread the gospel to all people, everywhere. And I think without that command, you know, we probably wouldn't do it. There are people who probably uh, would, as I mentioned in the last section there, uh, make excuses for why not to do it. So Jesus commands us to do it. So I want us today just to think about uh, where, where we're at with this outreach, this idea of gospel-shaped outreach, and, you know, I really like the name, I mean, gospel-shaped, right? Are, are we going to allow our outreach to be gospel-shaped, or everything that we do in our lives to be gospel-shaped? And as you think about being the sent ones, the ambassadors, the representatives for Jesus, we are his representation to the world, I want us to think about a couple of things as the worship team comes up to close us out in response. What would change about your life if you did your current job as a missionary, what changes would you make if you had been sent to a foreign country, given a job, a house, a mandate to be a missionary and reach those people? How would you spend your time? How would you pray? What types of relationships would you pursue? How would you read the news? What would you think of your neighbors? talk to the cashiers at the local supermarket? What would you be listening for in your community? Not all of us are called to be a missionary to a foreign country, but all of us are invited and called by God into this privilege of praying and working to advance his kingdom among our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, community. And again, we're not talking about that short impact on people's lives. We're talking about kingdom expansion long-term impact of making disciples who make disciples, etc., etc. And again, our lives don't have to be perfect or even close to perfect to do that. We can share Jesus, again, just like the Samaritan woman, out of the joys of our heart, out of the overflowing response of God's love for us. That's all we need to share that with others. Look what God has done for me in my life. Do you want him? Do you want his what God is doing? I just want to take the next few minutes um, before we're going to have a couple of songs in response. We also have an opportunity to take communion, uh, representing what God has done for us, his uh, body broken for us. We symbolize that through, through taking a piece of bread. We dip it in the juice, which is uh, representative of the blood that was shed for us. <clears throat> and I want us this morning to celebrate that and remember that, that that's what God has done for us. And yes, it's, it's a somber moment sometimes. We think about communion, we think about Christ's death on the cross, but remember that that's, that's God's story for us. That's what he's done for us. And yes, in the moment, it is heavy to think about that. But he rose again, and he 
he's commissioning us to go forward, then we have that resurrection power and we should celebrate the life that Jesus uh, lived and died and he rose again. So I'm going to pray for us um, and close us out. And Father God, I just uh, I pray that as we uh, spend a few minutes responding to you and what you have for us this morning, God, I pray that uh, we would just examine our own hearts, identify some of the obstacles uh, that maybe we have personally to sharing other, sharing you with others. Uh, sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it just, it just feels uncomfortable. Sometimes we're scared what it's going to look like. We all have our own hang-ups. We have our own excuses. We have our own obstacles, God. And I just pray over these next nine weeks that um, today we would prepare our hearts for that, that we would, uh, we would confess to you some of these obstacles in our life and share them maybe in our community groups and pray for one another that we would be open to what you would have for us during this time next nine weeks to really dive into this idea of of sharing your love, your plan for all God, speak to us now. Reveal your truth to us. Let us be transparent and honest with you, God, that we know that you already know what's going on in our hearts. God, we just ask that now you would come with your Holy Spirit inside us and reveal to us what we need to